Well, listeners, by the time you are hearing this, I am going to be halfway vaccinated. What? What? Yes, I am. uh, I signed up for my vaccine. I qualify. And I will be getting it on Saturday. And then my next one, I don't know, I guess two weeks from then. But y'all, I mean, it was, I don't do Black Friday, but it was like Black Friday (laughs) online. I fully imagined if this were in person, which it isn't because of the reason we need the vaccines, it being like them opening one aisle and like, all right, and go. And it's closed. Just kidding. Five of y'all are trapped in there. I mean, it was, it was a journey, but y'all. Yay for pre-existing conditions, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Comorbidities. <laughs> I kind of qualify um, or will for like the next phase, the beginning of it, I think. But I've been on the list um, in Dallas now for like a month or so. Haven't heard anything. I'm honestly not surprised. But I'm excited that you're getting yours. Hopefully, hopefully mine's following shortly after. God, hope everyone's is has either already happened is in the process or is set to happen very very soon yes well hello you guys this is blood and wine i'm Brittany, and i'm tyler and i can go outside soon and we missed you guys last week we did it was weird i definitely had a (gasps) moment on tuesday morning like oh my god one of us didn't post an oh right yeah (laughs) Also, uh, things to get excited about for y'all, we just dropped some new merch. We did. I am so excited. Y'all know how much I love cooking, and one of our merch pieces that I am most excited about is this apron with our logo. Also, tie-dye shirt, pajama set. Yes, so we know it's been a while since we've had some new merch. There's also a sticker now on our website if you want to get hooked up with a sticker stick it all over anything you want to i don't know i put stickers on my computer i was like your butt my body (laughs) no don't i mean if that is how you want to use a sticker by all means but i find that wasteful i mean yes but it just gave me the thought what if one day we were able to do temporary tattoos I mean, that would be really cool. For a second, I thought you were just asking in general. And I was like, yeah, that's a thing. And then I understood you meant like our logo. No, I mean, like in general, if it was allowed, if we were legally (laughs) able to put on a temporary tattoo. No, you have to get permanent ones. Wow. You know, makes sense, though. But yes, so be sure to hop on over to our website, bloodandwinepodcast.com. Hit that shop button and check out all our new merch. Also, uh, we mentioned how our drink with us, we wanted to have it a little more often, not just quarterly. So we are very excited to announce our next drink with us will be in April. We don't yet have a day uh, or exact time set, uh, but we are targeting like a weekend mid-afternoon, early afternoon. Yes, yes, that's our plan. So probably a Saturday or a Sunday, having it be around noon-ish central time zone uh, between noon and one, something like that, because we want as many of y'all over there, our UK listeners, everyone in Europe, if you guys want to join, we would love to have you there and understand you don't want to do that in the middle of the night. So 
And if any of our listeners in Australia, New Zealand want to tune in, I mean, it would be like 7, 6, 7 a.m. for y'all. But if y'all want to tune in, absolutely. By all means, grab some wine, grab a beer as your breakfast drink. To those of y'all in Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and Africa, um, I I think it's night, middle of the night for y'all. I don't know. But honestly, I feel like having maybe rotating, sometimes we do it evenings our time, sometimes we do it afternoon our time, so that, you know, y'all don't ever have to worry about, I'm in a shitty time zone compared to this, you know? I mean, hell, maybe sometime we'll do it in the morning. Who knows? We'll, we'll make oh, it happen. Oh, we could, we could make like mimosas. That'd be fun. Or we could just drink straight yeah. liquor. I was totally thinking mimosas. <laughs> I wasn't considering red wine at 7 a.m. Listen, sometimes you poured yourself a glass, you fell asleep, and you wake <laughs> up at like 7 a.m. with half a glass next to you. It's just extra aerated, but you're not going to waste that. So you lean over in bed and grab that glass of... God, maybe that's why I'm single. <laughs> That's my nighttime wine. That's my morning wine. That's my nightcap and my morning cap. (laughs) Well, you guys, if you're curious, wanting to know what these Drink With Us specials are, it's where we hop on Zoom, we chat with you guys, and that is a Patreon-exclusive perk. So be sure to hop on over to Patreon. You get access to all of the Drink With Us meetings with us, and those are, I mean, live. Like, we're actually there. We hop on Zoom. There's also our murder minis. We want to do some really fun stuff with you guys. So if you want to be a part of that blood and wine family, be sure to hop on over to Patreon. Also, make sure to subscribe to us on whatever podcast listening platform you're currently listening to us on. We are on Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, all the things. Wherever you find podcasts, you can find us and you can make sure to subscribe. That way, every time we post a new episode, you will get notified. We're also on Apple Podcasts. That's kind of a big one. Yeah, that one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the main one. The one I listen to podcasts on. (laughs) Same. So this week, this week's episode, Tyler, what are we going to talk about? Well, you ask, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just had a full-on conversation, I guess. Didn't realize I astral projected there, but here I am. (laughs) Your eyes ask the question without your words. Okay. You know what I mean? My questioning eyes, as an author would put it. So we all know, all of us true crime lovers, we know that when you're a jogger, I mean, you've got like a 60% chance you're probably going to find a body. Like, right? That's a thing, right? I mean, I don't know anyone who jogs. I also don't know anyone who's found a body. Coincidence? I don't know. (laughs) I'm just saying. You're not going to find bodies on your Peloton. Although, God, what if that was like a Halloween course? That'd be fucked up. Oh my God, like one of the scenic ones and it's Halloween. You're just biking along and then just body in the creek. Oh my God. That'd be so fucked up. I mean, your brain is the one that thought of it, so We have a true crime podcast. (laughs) Okay, so that's not exactly what our topic is about, because there are other times when you jog and you get murdered. So You don't find the body, you are the body. This week, we're talking about jogger murders. They're scary. I mean, to be totally honest, this is why a lot of us don't jog at night. I mean, especially women. It's not very often you're going to find a woman that does that. 
However, murders don't just happen at night. We know that. But anyway. No, they don't. It's scary. People will sometimes run with mace, etc. Because this happens. And so we're going to highlight a couple of cases where some people went out for a run and they never came home. Well, shit. That is a way to put it. So before we get into that, I we need wine for this. This is uh, yeah. <laughs> this one's going to be a rough one. So Tyler, what wine did you pick? So the wine I'm drinking today is the 2019 Rickshaw Pinot Noir from the Sonoma Coast of California, and I just really like this label. It's it gives like oh, that's very pretty. fancy gift shop wine vibes. Well, it's like this beautiful foggy forest. Yeah, the forest with the mountains in the background. And it's one of those pictures that I can't tell if it's black and white or that's just what it looks like because of the time of day. And I love photos like that. Like, are these like grays or are they blues? I don't know. My eye says, huh. But this wine, this Pinot Noir, it's aged in combination stainless steel and French oak barrels. And it is extremely balanced. It is described as a bold yet delicate flavor that is rich black cherry notes, cola, and a hint of vanilla and baking spices. So I'm literally imagining the wine version of a cherry Coke. But maybe not that sweet. I mean, no, but the proper wine version. I guess black cherry, cola, vanilla, and baking spices. That's a cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper right there. This is not a Dr. Pepper wine. I hope. But it also has a persistent core of juicy, ripe fruit that is balanced by its really bright acidity. It is endlessly energetic. And they describe Pinot as the ultimate versatile wine that I totally agree with. Pinot is one of the few wines you can absolutely have, I think, with any food. It'll stand up or complement or stand down in its own ways. Or like before any wine. Like, I feel like you could have a glass of Pinot and then have a glass of Bordeaux, but you wouldn't necessarily be able to have Bordeaux and then Pinot. That'd be water. You can do whatever you want, but... I mean, yeah. No, I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. If you have a Pinot after something super heavy like a Bordeaux, you're not going to be able to taste it because your taste buds are already tainted with these really heavy flavors. And a Pinot is not going to bring that heaviness. So it can't, it can't fulfill the, I don't know, what you've been drinking and what your tongue is used to at the moment. Yeah, but I feel like a Pinot, even though it's a red, is light enough and versatile enough that you could have a glass of Chardonnay after a Pinot. And Maybe. And totally still more or less beyond those flavors, like be able to get them. Anyways, this wine pairs well with King Salmon or Skirt Steak with Chimichurri, oh, which I feel like yum. last episode yours paired with Chimichurri. I don't know. I don't remember, but I know I love me some skirt steak with some chimichurri. Oh my god. I'm that makes me so hungry, especially because just before we recorded, I like did that monster beast thing at the fridge where you just reach your hand into something that you should probably heat up, should probably eat with other things, and then just devour it with your hands like a monster. It was rice. I ate rice with my hands out of the fridge. At least it wasn't raw meat. <laughs> I mean, I'm not actually a beast. I'm just I'm saying. I'm like, yeah, I was just, you know, tearing on into some just ground beef with my hands. I mean, you did say it was something that would be better if it was heated up. Yeah, I was thinking more of like how you do with like 
rice or pasta that you just put in the fridge and then you just eat it cold. It's not great. You just want to fill the hole in you. Sometimes that's food. Sometimes it's a man who's not right for you. Who knows? Well, that took a turn. Yeah, so I'm going to open the wine. What does it smell like? Very bright, acidic fruits. Well, we won't be able to see what it looks like in the glass because this is one of those blood and wine glasses that Sydney made us for Christmas with the resin and the paint and our sticker like molded into it. It's awesome. Oh. What do you smell now? Not much. It had a much stronger aroma smelling it out of the bottle than out of the glass with the wider mouth. I'm gonna let that breathe while you tell me about what wine you're drinking. I will be drinking the 2019 Double Black Zinfandel from Paso Robles, California. And this is a $12 bottle that I got at Total Wine. Full disclosure, I have had the cab and it was amazing. It was one of those California cabs that you were just like, this is everything I want in a cab. I'm in heaven. And so I'm really excited about their Zen. What's the, show me the label. Oh, oh God, that's so modern. I like it. I know the label is actually in two pieces. There's like two overlapping diamonds and then just a simple like rectangular label that's horizontal at the bottom that has the name of it. This Zen is a very bold and smooth wine. It's more on the dry scale, but it's softer. There's not a ton of tannins. There's not a ton of acidity. So instead... There's some of that oak, vanilla, chocolatey notes, and then the fruits are blackberry, plum, dark cherry. There is a little bit of that baking spice and pepper, so kind of like cinnamon, pepper, licorice towards the end of this. And depending on, because I feel like sometimes I will taste these things and sometimes I'm getting more of those baking spices, but some people did even note that there's a little bit of smoke and leather and earth. So this is a very robust, bold Zen, and I'm really excited. I've had this very interesting resurgence of Zen in my life. Um, Ooh, the resurgence of Zen. That is a sequel title. (laughs) Like, I don't know, Untitled Brittany Kelly Movie 3, The Resurgence of Zen. Yeah, except I don't mean Zen as in this is like, yes, yay, life. I mean the wine. I've been drinking more Zinfandel. But uh, you're right. Maybe it could be a horror movie and like on the title screen, the Zen, the Z on it flashes like between an S and a Z. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Anyway, I've been drinking more of it. And you know, if you listen to our podcast in the early days, one of my favorite wines, and truth be told, I hadn't had it in a while until recently, but the Michael David's Seven Deadly Zens, it's still one of my favorite wines. I went probably about a year not having it. And I've bought it like three times in the last two months because it just, oh my God, you guys, it's so good. So... As we know, we've talked about it all the times, your palates change, they adjust, and also sometimes you'll be in a mood for just a certain type of wine. Like, sometimes, y'all know when I went through my Sauvignon Blanc phase when I felt like it was all I was wanting to drink, and I still love Sauvignon Blanc, but I'm apparently back to, like, Zins and Cabs. So, it's very interesting. You know, I I just love this three-year journey of all these different wines, but sometimes it's the classics. Am I on a Pinot train? I don't know. Have you had it a lot recently? 
I think so. Listen, I have had a lot of wine recently. As many of y'all know, Texas had the storms that crippled us uh, not that long ago. And uh, you bet you, you better believe my ass bought two boxes of wine that were my only friends during that. I also didn't have water and learned that melting snow for water is gross, but that's all you can do when you don't have water for a week. I just stabbed myself with my wine opener. Oops. Oh, the On thing you're constantly scared of. Yeah, the thing that I try to cut the foil with. It's like a little knife. I did, I'm not bleeding, though, so we're good. Sometimes... Well, if you were bleeding, you'd be fine. It's a flesh wound. <laughs> no. If I was bleeding, I would need to just cut the finger off. You know, you told me that earlier when I ran over my toe with my uh, desk chair. <laughs> and I I don't like this new resurgence of amputations that you seem to be going through. <laughs> I just think appendages are useless. I mean, you know... They're not. Um, Your toes are for balance. But anyway... <laughs> I mean, yes. So you need them. No, I know, but just that. <laughs> but anyways, your toes are for balance. <laughs> Whatever. Please, please open your wine. I'm, I'm trying to. <laughs> just remember, your toes are for balance. I'm just saying, if you didn't know that already, listeners, that's what your toes are there for. If you don't have them, you have to relearn some balancing techniques. I thought that was just your big toe. I think it's all of them. I mean, is this really the, the, what you want to fall on the sword for? This conversation? <laughs> <laughs> I've fallen on bigger swords for less. That's what she said. Hey. So now I'm finally getting into it. I got the foil off, you guys. There's no blood. I'm fine. You know, it's, I'm just saying. One thing that, you know, we are 100% ourselves with you guys. Sometimes more with y'all than I think we are a lot of other times in our lives. And... um. I just want to say sometimes days are really fucking hard and just know that it's okay to not be super okay all the time and you can still have good conversations and, you know, let yourself be happy when things have been really shitty. Does that make any sense? I've had a really shitty day, but I'm enjoying this. Like it's been a while since we've recorded and it feels really good to have this conversation. And I'm also opening wine. So maybe that's also why I'm in better mood. No, I think that makes total sense. And I fully agree 100%. There's been a lot of stresses, a lot of changes, a lot of things going on. Yeah. We all know last year was a really rough year. This year is also really rough. And so... Worse? I don't know if I would say worse, but it's like 2020 hasn't ended. As much as we talked about it ending, it didn't. And, you know, there are a lot of things, and we don't have to go down this road because I got my wine open now, but there are a lot of things that we know are within our control to change and are changing But there's still so many things that are out of our control, like this freaky weather that Texas had last year. Tyler had a hell of a time with it. You guys, he was out of water for a week. It was a week, yeah. And um, lost power for a little bit of that time. The fact that he was melting snow to get water, water was completely sold out in Austin and all the surrounding areas. The weather was also so bad that it's not like he could go out and go get it even if there was water. FEMA came to Austin and like I was extremely fortunate. I didn't lose power. I didn't lose water, 
But just seeing what was going on with all my fellow Texans, I like, I like unplugged everything. I had a lamp on and like I read, I mean, I normally read, I don't watch TV a lot, but like. (laughs) It's like, that's not much to change. (laughs) But like, just, you know, I was trying to do what little part I could. I honestly felt useless, but I knew that was powerful because of the need for all of this energy but I say all that to say, I feel like every single week, every single day, is there's all these new experiences that maybe we didn't ever want to have to experience. But I just wanted to put it out there that like, it is okay to just have a really shitty day and not feel like you have to make excuses for it. It's okay. Some days suck. Yeah. And you can still be in an okay mood and like have a fun experience at the end and still accept that you had a shit day. I'm rambling at this point. I'm pouring my wine. Do it. Clearly, I need it. I'm using my Game of Thrones because literally. I'm surpri- why are you surprised? Literally, I feel like today was a war. No, I'm surprised you didn't do a Tyler pour. I know. I did stop that a little quick. <laughs> Let's add some more to this. I was expecting it to just keep going. Honestly, this glass is not as big as it looks. I'm absolutely smelling oak and vanilla, black cherry. A little bit of that licorice, kind of baking spice type thing. This smells like a really bold, delicious, amazing zen. And I just got really excited to try this wine. I'm telling you, if this is half as good as their cab, it's going to be phenomenal. Well, I think without further ado, we need to cheers because I want to hear about that. And I want to taste this. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Both of ours were kind of <laughs> That was dinky. sad. You know, it's because well, I filled mine up so high, and it's because you're not using a glass. It's true. Oh, my God. Sweet baby Jesus, this is good. Oh. Oh, I'm in heaven. Can I go first? You always go first. Go first. So, this is so smooth. It's so smooth without being sweet. And I'm just, mmm, man, that leather just mixed with this dark cherry and earth and oak and vanilla okay this may be one of the best zins i've had in a really long time or i maybe just needed wine this bad that i'm about to cry because it's so good i don't know i've i've seen you have some bad wine after an even worse day and you don't praise it like this oh my gosh just the smooth because i don't know I don't know what it is. A lot of the times when I think of a wine being smooth, I think of like a red blend, which a red blend to me is generally on the sweeter side. So for some reason, my brain and my taste buds have gotten this association of smoothness with sweetness. And that's absolutely not a factor. Like that's not a thing. Those are two very different things. But this is the perfect example of something. It doesn't have that tannic bite. I don't feel that twinge in the back of my cheeks. It's just so smooth, but there's so much flavor and it's a long finish. Like I'm still tasting that last sip. Nice. Okay. I highly, highly recommend this. I think it ranges from 12 to 13. It is surprisingly amazing for that price. I would easily paid $25 for this bottle. Wow. Which is double. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, while I cry over here, Tyler, tell me about your Pinot. How is it? It's good. It's a very understated flavor, which I I think mine was in the fridge a little bit too long. And then I realized I'm using a wine tumbler 
which is designed to not change the wine temperature that much. Oh, so, so I'm it's like, too cold. Oh, it's probably it's not it's not very cold, but it's not super pow with the flavor, which it might just be that way as a wine. It has some very nice subtle notes of the cherry. I wouldn't describe it as bold yet delicate as they do, which is why I'm thinking it might just be a little cold. But I get the cherry. I honestly do get a little bit of that cola, but more like, have you ever had one of the LaCroix cola flavors? No, because that sounds nasty. You drink LaCroix like it's, well, like it's water. (laughs) I do, but a cola flavor? Which, okay, to be totally fair... When I think of cola, obviously, I think of Coca-Cola. And so knowing that cola itself is actually a flavor, I don't really think I know what that tastes like alone. I mean, it, it tastes like cola. It's the flavor that you get from like... To me, Coca-Cola tastes like sugar. Well, Coca-Cola is... a Its flavor is technically cola and citrus. Because if you like, if you were drinking, you know what, this actually be a fun little experiment. But if you were drinking like a Coca-Cola, but thinking about it from like a wine tasting perspective, you're going to get some notes of like orange and lemon extract. You're going to get some of those caramel or caramel notes. But then you're also going to get a nutty, almost like sweet almond flavor and that is kind of what cola tastes like and if you think about it in that way when you're having like off-brand colas and stuff you can kind of see that that current running through this is a very interesting conversation it makes me want to like have a tasting of coca-cola dr pepper and like some ibc root beer you know try the dark colas oh i i was when you said taste testing and sodas i was thinking like (laughs) A blindfolded taste and i'm like <laughs> you would be able to tell them apart yes i mean that'd be like the blindfolded coke versus pepsi but anyway we shouldn't be saying this many brand names because this is a wine podcast and not a coke podcast and by coke i mean soda but we call it coke because this is the south so just leave it be you know and sometimes in our cases they involve coke too different kinds <laughs> yeah the powder kinds but no, this is good. And I mentioned the like LaCroix Cola because in the way that LaCroix tastes like it was an open thing of sparkling water next to whatever it's trying to replicate in flavor, that just like hint, I see where it's coming from. That without any kind of sweetness or fake sweetness. Yeah, it's a solid Pinot Noir. It would be really good with turkey, like some juicy white breast meat turkey gravy i know you did have a pinot noir last time because you didn't realize that it's a thanksgiving wine i know and you told me (laughs) (laughs) that in beaujolais because it's lighter goes great with bird one thing we did want to talk about before we do get into our cases is there is one case that is very well known of a jogger being murdered it is very much on our minds today and the one year anniversary of it also just happened a couple weeks ago and that is the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Yes, and we made the conscious decision in this episode to not cover Ahmad's case yet. This case just had its one year anniversary like Tyler was saying and his mother actually filed a civil lawsuit a couple of days ago. 
And we want to follow this case through and we want to bring it to you guys at a time when there's more information, when more has happened. Because this one, unfortunately, it has been dragging and it has been difficult for it to be seen as a murder. And this is a lot of the issues that have been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and how situations like this, this is not okay. This is murder. And mm-hmm. we want to bring Ahmad's story to you because it needs to be told. We want more justice to be served in this case before we bring forward all of the details. Absolutely. And we wanted to bring that up before we dive into our cases because it, Ahmad is not someone that we have forgotten. And I know with our topic being what it is, us not mentioning Ahmad and his murder, I think, would have done him a huge disservice. Right. And that's not what we're about here. So did just want to, like Ty said, bring that up and more information to come on this. We're It's one of those cases that we're watching really closely, like a lot of people are and should be, because he was murdered. Absolutely. So the case I'm doing today is the murder of Vanessa Marcotte. And this is actually a case that I had briefly touched on, briefly mentioned before in a murder mini I did quite a while ago when I covered the murder of Karina Vetrano. She was a woman in New York City who was out for a jog, I believe in Central Park, and was murdered. And her murder happened right before Vanessa's murder. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. They get tied together uh, quite a bit. So that was one of the reasons when you mentioned this topic, I was like, I think I have one in mind. The sources I used, I used the Wikipedia page for Vanessa Marcotte. I used an t- article in the Telegram by Kim Ring, and then an article in Mass Live by Scott Crotow. So Vanessa Marcotte, she was born in Leominster, Massachusetts on June 17th of 1989. By 2016, she was now 27 years old. She lived and worked full-time in New York City. She worked for Google. I mean, she was she was living her life, living her fantasy. And she would often make bi-monthly visits to see her mom and her aunt, and they lived in Princeton, Massachusetts, which is a really small town. It's like less than 4,000 people in Worcester County. On Sunday, August 7th of 2016, Vanessa, she left her mom's house pretty early in the afternoon because she wanted to go for a run before she would catch a commuter bus to New York City later that day. So basically kind of her last last thing of the weekend, she was like, oh, I'm going to go for a run out here in the country. But then she never returned home. And after several hours had gone by and she wasn't back, her family was like, okay, no, something's wrong. And they called the police. That is one of those things that I feel like, God, talk about one of the worst nightmares when you have a family member who's a runner. They go out on a run and they just never come back. Like they didn't, know. They didn't take anything with them. They don't have their car. They like, clearly they didn't just run. You know, I, I feel like it is. I'm not looking at stats or anything, but I feel like it would be so be a lot less common for someone to go for a run and actually leave and it be a legitimate reason. Well, I mean, yeah, because don't get that far on foot. No. Police immediately launched into a missing person search 
And that evening at about 8.20 p.m., Vanessa's body was found off the street on a trail in a really heavily wooded area. She was only about a half mile away from her mom's home. God, right by home. Immediately, it was obvious that this was a murder. Vanessa's body was naked. She had burns on her face, her feet, and her hands. She was also believed to have been sexually assaulted and strangled. Um, She had crush injuries to her throat, and she also had a broken nose. But her clothes, her cell phone, her earbuds, they were missing. The only, like, article of clothing they really found nearby was a partially burned sneaker, like one of her running shoes. And that was it. None of her other clothes were ever found. So it's most likely that whoever killed her took them with them. Yeah, but why? Just to leave her there like that. Also, this was very brutal. Very, very brutal. Oh, yeah. Like, when when it started talking about, like, the burns she had in her body, I was like, what the fuck? Because it didn't sound like after she was murdered, like, the killer tried to like burn her body to hide the evidence it didn't seem like that kind of burns at all it sounded like burns that happened in the struggle right on her body foreign dna was also found so dna that belonged to her killer i'm glad there was at least that bit of evidence because it looks like everything else was gone and i think a lot of the dna was found uh, on her hands and like under her fingernails because The investigators and the medical examiners said that it was very obvious that she put up a huge fight during the attack. So according to one local witness, Vanessa stopped at the Mountainside Market there in town to grab a drink. And she was last seen while talking on her phone and like she had just left the store. She'd gotten her drink, left the store. She was on her phone. And this was just after 1 p.m., And you said her body was discovered around, like, 8 that evening? Yeah. Another witness said that they had seen a vehicle that was following Vanessa. And they even noticed the car, like, turn around and follow her again when she went down, like, a side street. Because also, it's a small town in Massachusetts. Like, it's 4,000 people. It's not small town like we might think here in the Midwest. Where it's like, oh, so she's, like, just walking down the highway passing farms and ranches like it's it's still a i mean it's wooded but it's it's a little town not i don't know a collection of farms like think if you're from the midwest think like a small town's downtown area that's what the, the as full more town representative is like. more or less so not as spread out as like you were saying a farming community yeah and due to these eyewitness reports and being able to investigate her body, it was likely she was attacked sometime between 1 and 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So, like, right after she left the store. Yeah. Vanessa's murder, it got a lot of attention because of the very similar murder of Karina Vitrano that happened less than a week before. So, both of these women lived in New York City. Both of them were like young women who were killed while jogging in the middle of the day. So there was definitely a lot of people that were like, is there a serial killer out in New England who is hunting down female joggers in the middle of the day? Right. I I mean, that is a legitimate concern. Like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, jogger murders 
happen. And I feel like, you know, it's one of those things we, as a society, like, are fully aware is, God, I, I hate to even say it this way, but it's like, it's a risk that you take sometimes when you go out. But like I mentioned, it's not just at night. Like, these women were running in the middle of the day, like, in what can be seen as a very safe time of day. So yeah. it just... It, I, I get that. It's not beyond the realm of imagination to think that there is someone targeting these women. But even though that was what a lot of people were thinking, the authorities never said whether or not they thought the cases were related. A suspect was linked with DNA evidence to Karina's murder and charged in February of 2017. And that suspect's DNA had like no match to Vanessa's murder. Oh, so they were quickly, like, they. it looked like they were related, and then quickly it was determined through DNA that, no, they're not. Yeah. Shit. That just, like I said, goes to show you, like, this is, this happens more than we think it does. It really does. Shortly after Vanessa's murder, the investigators opened up a 24-hour tip line to get any information they could from members of the public, and they got over 1,300 tips. That's a lot. Yeah, they released some information, like her attacker was probably a man who had scratches and cuts and bruises on his face and arms. They also believed that whoever her killer was, was someone completely random, a stranger who did not know her at all. And then also they released some information about the black or dark colored SUV that that one resident had seen following her. Yeah. I will say, I know we talk about profiling and how some of the things, it's like, how did they come up with that? But when you talk about a jogger being attacked and it being someone random who doesn't know them, that totally makes sense to me. Because if you know someone, I feel like when they're jogging is not when you're going to attack them. Not that I think about when you should and should not attack someone. I mean, the answer is never. Yeah. But it seems like one of those things that, that's what is the phrase where it's just like it opportunity um opportunistic yeah just that the crime was a crime of opportunity it was opportunistic and not necessarily planned yeah or maybe planned somewhat like the idea was planned the specific victim maybe not exactly yeah on february 23rd of 2017 so now it's been more than six months since vanessa was murdered The Worcester County DA released more details about the investigation, and he said that the DNA of her killer had been sent to a lab, and they'd actually been able to make a profile, like a DNA profile, which tells me they were able to get a lot of DNA. What is a DNA profile? Like, what does that mean? Like, it's not a match, so I'm confused. Well, based on the DNA evidence they were able to say that the suspect was likely a Hispanic or Latino male in his late 20s to 30s. He probably had an athletic build, average height, and either short or shaved hair. And some of that also comes from, like, witness. Eyewitness people who were like, well, this is who the I saw as the driver. Not that your DNA is like, he got short hair. I don't know what to tell you. I was literally, I'm sure Tyler saw the look <laughs> on my face because I was like, how the hell do you find out these things from DNA? 
like it started when you talked about him being athletic. I'm like, it may. I mean, maybe there's less like fat in your blood, but like that's not a thing. I don't know. The <laughs> mitochondria is the powerhouse. Of the cell. It was just really big in his cells. It was. It was lifting weights. So we thought maybe he was too. It's like that movie Osmosis Jones. Do you remember that movie? Of course I remember that movie. I don't know why I loved that movie so freaking much. That was Chris Rock, right? Yeah, and Bill Murray. So I mean, it was a really good movie while simultaneously being a really bad movie. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so you made me think of that when you were talking about the mitochondria lifting weights. But what I was just going to say to follow up this thought, to conclude my thinking, I'm glad you clarified because I was really confused. Yeah, I think the DNA probably told them possible ethnicity, age, maybe even athletic build and height. I don't know what all you can read from DNA. Well, it's kind of like when you do like the 23andMe or Ancestry when you spit in a tube. God, I don't want to spit in a tube and it be like, your projected height is 6'4". And I just cry at what could have (laughs) been. Yeah, I don't know if they could do that level of detail. Because I know like the Ancestry tests and whatever... It doesn't tell you anything about your height or your weight or your athletic Hashtag build. broadly European. I, well, I don't know what all they could tell from DNA. But they also announced that, you know, the person they're looking for who would fit this profile is also someone who would have access to a dark colored SUV on that day. And again, would have visible injuries afterwards. Right, because of all the scratches, all the defensive ones. Yeah. And it it did not sound just like scratches, like like there were. I think she might have like broken his nose, and like yeah, she fought for her life. Then on April fifteenth of twenty seventeen, the DA announced that Vanessa's killer had been apprehended. They'd gotten him. They charged thirty one year old Angelo Colon Ortiz of Worcester, Massachusetts, with her murder. And he was placed on $10 million in bail. In addition to the murder charge, he also faced charges of aggravated assault and assault with intent to rape. To, to all of this, he did plead not guilty, but his judge, but the judge ordered him to be held without bail. And according to the investigators, what happened and how he was found was a Massachusetts state trooper was, like, on patrol in Worcester and had seen this guy. And he's like, okay, that, you know, this guy kind of matches the description. Right. He's also driving a dark SUV. So, hmm, interesting. I'm all just jot down his license plate number. Like, he wrote it on his hand. And then the next day, he and another police officer went to Angelo's house be like hey let's uh let's chat can you give us some dna and angelo voluntarily gave them uh, a dna sample and that came back as a match for the dna they found on vanessa's hands he voluntarily was like yeah here's my spit well that is what the police are saying is that he voluntarily oh. was like sure oh what if they like he threw a cup away and they wouldn't grabbed it Well, he claims, um, and this is a big part of why this case is still currently at trial, which it is, uh, he claims that there was a language barrier between them that led him to provide the DNA sample. 
and that he didn't under like he didn't understand what they were asking for right. and stuff, and so he did not actually give voluntary consent for his DNA or have representation there. Do we know like how they got his DNA? I'm not sure. I mean, I think it was like a cheek swab. Which one thing that we do have to think of is because of our knowledge of true crime and the fact that we've read about this stuff and watched this stuff on TV like all the time. We're fully aware that that means you're giving a DNA sample and that you don't have to do that without a warrant. But to be totally honest, I don't think that's common knowledge. And so I get that. I get that there could be this language barrier between the right of like consent. And it could even happen if there's not a language barrier. Because, I mean, sometimes the police just take advantage of people who don't know the system. Yeah. So Angelo, he grew up in Puerto Rico before he like moved up to the States. He had no criminal history. He was married. He had three kids. He lived there in Worcester for like less than a year. And he worked for like a third party contractor of FedEx. So he made deliveries all around town. Like all the packages people bought, he delivered. So he was very familiar with the town of Princeton, the surrounding towns, all the roads, all of it. According to his neighbors, he was described as very perverted he would often make very vulgar sexual comments to different people in the neighborhood. And a woman who was a former postal worker in Princeton said that he would make crude comments in Spanish about her and other women to his co-worker. So, I mean, he's a pervy gross dude. Right. And a murderer. Like, let's not forget, he's a murderer. Right, because that was a DNA match. Yeah. As part of their investigation, authorities revealed that on the day of the murder, a local resident had seen Angelo outside of his parked SUV with its hood up. He was like on the phone. This is about 1245 that afternoon. So he's in the he's been seen in the area with this car and then cell phone records and data like also prove that he was in that area at that time. Right. And then when the resident drove by the car again at about 2 p.m., the SUV was still there. Its hood was down this time, and there was nobody around it. And this is at 2.05. Vanessa's phone showed that her phone was either shut off or disabled. So most likely like destroyed, damaged, or, or turned off after the attack at 2.11 p.m. So the reason that there wasn't anyone at the SUV is because that was probably at the same time that Vanessa was being murdered. Angelo, who usually worked the morning shift, wasn't working that day. And there was basically there was no reason for him to be in Princeton in that specific area at all. But I couldn't find any him saying why he was there or anything. But he's currently awaiting trial and has been awaiting trial since April of 2017. So you said one of the hangups in this case and what's taking it a while to get to trial is that whole how his DNA was obtained? Yeah, that's a big part of it. And I found a lot of articles that were written in like September of this year that were like, oh, a decision should be coming next month. And by this year, I mean 2020. 2020 just hasn't ended at all. And they kept mentioning like, oh, next month the judge will provide a decision. 
I couldn't find any articles or any updated information on what the decision was or really anything. So, well, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was because there was a delay or something. This yeah. is this is one of the things that can be so frustrating about our justice system is the fact that there's a possibility that his DNA was obtained unethically. Yet it was a match. So how do you move forward with that? And like, I I mean, I hate to say it, but like there is a process for a reason because sometimes th- there isn't like this smooth, well, this isn't smooth, but there isn't like this match. And where it seems like it's like, yep, he did it. Yep, he was in the area. Like we have a lot of evidence against him. But at the same time, that DNA obtained unethically may not be admissible in court and therefore the whole case could be thrown because of that even though it was a match well right i mean that's that's the possibility here i mean what i think would be most likely to happen would be the dna evidence itself is thrown out because i feel like the entire case the entire case would really only be thrown out if everything hinged on that DNA. No, no, no. And it's... I wasn't saying the whole case would be thrown out. I was saying, yes, you're right. The DNA not being admissible, but that's literally your smoking gun because it was a match. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. I was just going to say, like, I know the process can be, like, slow as fuck and frustrating, but it's there for a reason because of the times when it is used against people for wrong reasons. But this is mm-hmm. what happens when it's not followed. And, I mean, we don't know what's happened. Like you said, the trial hasn't happened yet. But we've all seen this. We've seen this happen mm-hmm. before. There's a possibility that maybe there's not enough to convict. It, it sounds like in this case, there will be. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, DNA evidence on top of all the other evidence... It seems, from an outsider's perspective who has not seen all the documents, it does seem pretty conclusive. It does. But, I mean, one of the things that... Because in my head I was thinking, if you were on that jury and you heard the DNA evidence, but maybe then it was, like, stricken and, you know, jury is told not to... Or to completely disregard it. How do you? How would you disregard a perfect match? But... If you look at it in the way of it's being stricken because how it was collected, if it wasn't collected right, how do we know it was tested right? How do we know the two samples were, you know, DNA they found on her body and DNA from him? And there wasn't also a mix up of, you know, not saying any of that happened, but I'm just saying like, you know, you are, you can be able to build up and there are. We've had cases before that have DNA matches or DNA is ruling rules someone out who later did do it where the DNA is, you know, DNA doesn't lie, but the data itself still has to be interpreted by people and the input is done by people and that can all be fucked up. I know. And it, this is our system is broken. It's complicated but there are some parts of it that do work and like it's not mm-hmm. all broken it's just oh yeah it's so complicated and i'm not trying to get to any type of resolution here because well, i mean there isn't one that's part of the problem but mm-hmm. th- i'm just i brought it up because i wanted to have this conversation around the complexities of our justice system and 
sometimes we don't go into the details like this. A lot of the times, of course, it's always easier when a case is more black and white, but the reality is most of them are not. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I a thousand percent believe he did it. I mean... Yeah, like I, I said, the evidence he, is stacked yeah. against him. From an outsider's perspective, it seems like he's pretty guilty. Yes, it does. That is my case. That is the murder of Vanessa Marcotte. So, Brittany, what case are you talking about today? What is your jogger murder case? I'll be talking about the murder of Sydney Sutherland. I used um, quite a few sources, actually. A couple of articles on oxygen, by both of them by Jill Sutterstorm. An article from Fox News by Yael Hyon. An article from KATV ABC News 7. And then also an article on CBS News. Do you ever, when we have sources that are like the news team, do you ever envision it like a group project? No, I know someone did it and it didn't get their name credited. Oh, I live in a rosier world where (laughs) I'm imagining everyone, the news professor gets everyone together and is like, okay, team B, you are Samantha, Abby, Christina, Elizabeth, and Margaret. And Margaret's like, I'll do the title. I mean, while, yeah, there's a possibility, totally, because I'm not a news anchor. I don't know these things. I'm not a journalist. There could be some of these things that are worked on together, but I think some of them, maybe an intern wrote it and they don't get their name credited. Oh, that's fucked. I don't know. Again, don't work in a news station. But Sydney Sutherland, she was 25 years old. She lived in Newport, Arkansas, which is about 80 miles northeast of Little Rock. Sydney was a mother, she was a nurse, and she was an avid jogger. At around 7 p.m. on August 19th, the Jackson County Sheriff's Office got a call from an unidentified person. They reported that Sydney was missing. Sydney had disappeared after she left her home to go for a run that evening. Immediately, a search party broke out. The community came together to try to find where Sydney was. So this unidentified caller, they're just like, hey, I can't tell you who I am, but Sydney's disappeared. You might want to look into it. I don't know exactly why they are unidentified. Maybe it was a friend or a family member that called in hysterics and the identity never really came through the line. But the point that Sydney was missing did. Okay. I mean, I really don't know. But yeah, it's we don't know who this caller was. Yeah. So the search party gets put together. They're going to go out. They're going to try to find Sydney. A lot of the people in the community join the search. And one of these people was Quake Llewellyn. The day after Sydney disappeared, her phone was located in a field about a mile and a half-ish from her home. Investigators also found a pair of broken sunglasses that were hers in a barn a few hundred yards from where her phone was found. So it seems like her belongings are kind of scattered. Llewellyn, this this guy who joined the search, he was encouraged by his father. He initially told investigators that he had seen Sydney running down County Road 41 before she disappeared. So I can just see this conversation playing out where, you know, he was in the search party. Maybe he's having a conversation with his dad later and he mentions that he saw her and his dad's like, well, have you told authorities that? He's like, well, no. And his dad's like, dude, go, go tell them this information. 
Authorities said there were no other witnesses who reported seeing Sydney after Llewellyn said he drove by her. So, turns out, his dad had good intuition because he was the last person that saw her, most likely. Yeah. Investigators ended up bringing Llewellyn in for questioning on August 21st, so it's been a couple days since Sydney went missing. And at the time, he agreed to let authorities search his 2019 GMC Sierra pickup truck. Because, I apologize, did I tell you the year? No, I just said August 19th. This happened in 2020, so this was just a few months ago. Oh. I say that because I'm like, his car's a 2019, and I realized I never told you what time frame we're in. So this is last fall. Shit. When authorities were searching his truck, they located what appeared to be blood inside in the cracks of the tailgate and on the tailgate itself. Authorities also searched Llewellyn's phone, and they found this app called Life360, and in the app, like, location services were on, it suggested that he had been in an area about two and a half miles from where Sydney's phone had been found, and he was there about an hour after she was discovered missing. I mean, I know it's a rural part of the state and all, but two and a half miles is not close. I mean, if a murder happened in New York and you were like, oh my God, you were within two and a half miles of the murder. Yeah, me and 11 other million people. So I don't know that I'm like two and a half miles away. But if it's one of those apps that like consistently capturing your location and like, you know, I guess they could piece together an accurate trail, then maybe two and a half miles seems closer. I don't know. To me, I'm like, yeah, he lives in the same town. Well, just on a hunch, authorities decided they were like, okay, he was located about two and a half miles from where her phone was found. Let's go look at that area. And when they got there, they found Sydney's body. Mm. She was buried in a field just a few yards from where this Life360 app had suggested Llewellyn had been. Wow. Okay, so that kind of distance is very suspicious. Well, and see, and that's the thing, because what your initial hunch was about, like, okay, but it's two and a half miles, I think why it seemed so suspicious is because it was in the middle of a field. Like, what's he doing there? So... While I 100% agree with what you were saying, like, it very much depends on where you're located to where the distance becomes suspicious or like a, well, no, we would never look into that. That that makes more sense because there's there's a lot less, like, alternative reasons of why you would have been in this random strange field well, only two and a half miles away. Unless he, I don't know, you go to the field to, like, smoke weed because it's secluded and illegal in Arkansas. I don't know. No. Put a pin in that. We'll get back to why he was in the fields. Oh, I'm just imagining some children of the corn shit now. (laughs) So the state medical examiner found that Sidney Sutherland's cause of death was multiple blunt force injuries. Llewellyn told investigators that he barely knew Sidney. But investigators discovered that the two of them had gone to the same Arkansas high school and they had been friends on Facebook before she was killed. She recently had deleted him before her death, but they did have this connection. I will say, I'm friends with a lot of my old high school friends on Facebook that I do not know. I'll straight up put that out there. Sometimes you accept that where you're like, I think I know who you are. And I haven't 
weeded my way through deleting those. I mean, when I graduated high school, the person who sat next to me, I had seen her name because we shared a last name. I didn't know. We're not related. But we'd gone to school together since the beginning of middle school. And me sitting next to her at graduation was literally the first time I had ever seen this person in my entire life. You also went to a high school much larger than this one. I mean, I did. I graduated with 700 people. But even still, I feel like going to high school with someone and being friends on Facebook is not a connection. And their class, it was a really small class. They went to Tuckerman High School, and the class average size was 50. So it's very different than your 700. Yeah, but I still think with 50 people... There is a good chance that it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I had like a couple classes with that person every year. I don't know them. I mean, I feel like the idea of, oh, y'all went to school together and your friends on Facebook. No, you must know a lot about it. You must be close. Is a mindset maybe by investigators who didn't grow up in the age of like social media being part of your life from like middle school and elementary school where it's like of course they're in my class i had them on facebook i don't fucking know these people i totally see what you're saying but i also know that you and i both graduated in very large classes so we don't know what it's like to be in a class of 50 people 50 people that you literally spent four years with no you're not friends with everyone but at a certain point you probably know who everyone is if you don't then you're just not paying attention yeah That's true. So yes, I get what you're saying. Just because they're classmates doesn't mean they necessarily truly know each other or even like vaguely know each other, to be fair. But the same day that Sydney's body was found, Llewellyn allegedly told authorities that he ran her over with his truck. Oh! He said that he was driving to check the wells in the rice fields. So see when I told you to like hold up about why is he in the field? It's actually his job. So okay, not too weird that he's in the middle of nowhere. But so he's he's driving. He's checking the rice fields. He's checking those wells. And he sees Sydney walking along the gravel road. He turned his truck around after he drove past her. But then he realized he couldn't see her anymore. And so he thought, oh, it's just the dust. Then he said that she may have crossed the road. And that's when he hit her. All of this to me sounds very confusing and like kind of made up. And I, I don't completely believe this whole like, oh shit, I accidentally without knowing it must have hit her. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. So he says he feels her hit the truck in, in this whole like he had turned around, there's dust, then he can't see her, then he keeps going, then he hits her, I guess. So he says he feels his truck hit her and he stopped. He walked over to see if she was okay, but she was not responding. So at this point, he's thinking that she is dead, and he's really afraid that he's going to get into some trouble for running her her over. So he picks up her body and takes her to the rice field, where he then decides to take off all of her clothes and, quote, tried messing with her a bit, end quote, on the tailgate of his truck. What the fuck? Yeah. Apparently, when he's giving this interview, investigators were like, dude, why? 
Like, what the fuck? And his attorney was like, don't answer that. So we don't have any more information, but uh, I'm thinking that's information enough. After he was finished, investigators said he used a shovel to dig a grave and bury the body. Llewellyn told officials that he went back to work immediately following the attack before he went home, had dinner, went to sleep. He just said he tried to forget all about it. You killed someone, sexually assaulted them, and then buried their body. And then just tried to fucking go home and pretend nothing happened. What? Oh my god. Authorities discovered shoe prints on the the soil around where she was buried. And they thought that it was probably matched to some of these shoes that Llewellyn had. Like, he had these certain shoes and it was a familiar print. Llewellyn's mother, Carrie... She had contacted law enforcement officers about some surveillance footage. This footage was from her property, and she told law enforcement they needed to look at it. So this is one of these things that, like, I feel like when a mother comes forward about her son, that's not an easy thing. No. So whatever was on this footage, which we we don't know, but whatever it was had to be pretty incriminating. Yeah. So additionally, Carrie, his mom, and Grace, his wife, they told investigators that they saw a dent on Llewellyn's truck on August 19th. That's the day that Sydney went missing and that it had not been there earlier that morning. Shortly after this, Quake was arrested and his wife filed for divorce. Right now, Llewellyn is facing charges of capital murder, rape, kidnapping, and abuse of a corpse. Llewellyn declared he was mentally incompetent and unfit for trial, but after describing the killing to a psychiatrist, which he referred to as the murder, after describing this to a psychiatrist, he was deemed mentally fit to stand trial. The state psychiatrist found Llewellyn has the mental capacity to understand his court proceedings, the charges against him, and to assist in his defense. Llewellyn has, though, pleaded not guilty to charges of kidnapping, capital murder, abuse of a corpse, and rape. And as of February 17th, 2021, a trial date has yet to to be set. So this is very much an active investigation still. And part of, similarly to yours, like part of this process has taken a little bit longer. Or actually, it's taken normal time. I know we... When we sometimes talk about a full case, we don't full-on recognize the, like, and then a year later, it finally went to trial. Or, and then three years later, it finally went to trial. Yeah. So this one did just happen in August of 2020. So it's pretty recent as far as uh, murders are concerned. And so with him declaring that he was mentally incompetent and then having him meet with a psychiatrist you know that process is why we don't yet have a court date but i mean articles i found for this investigation and for this case were as early as like six days ago so things are happening right now so i think this is one that we're going to be seeing in our news probably pretty soon um and that trial date is going to be set and i definitely want to follow this one because I think there's a lot of things that we don't know that are going to come out in this trial. Yeah, because I think there's just in how many questions and stuff we both had in your case. Yeah. That there weren't answers to. 
I think absolutely. Yeah. So that was the murder of Sidney Sutherland. Well, I mean, this case has more cemented that I'm just not going to take up jogging. You know, literally, you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm going to stick to my Peloton in my living room and not freaking go out for a goddamn run. Which, like, to be fair, Peloton or not, I'm still not going to go out for a goddamn run. Yeah, um, I'm going to stick to the apartment gym because I don't have a Peloton and... You know, I'm fine with the apartment gym. My new apartment has a private dance studio I can book. And, like, an entire wall is a screen where I can have instructors on video being like, Okay, class, today we're learning the foxtrot. I don't know. That's the first dance I can think of. I was thinking tango. But uh, you did not tell me about the full wall screen. I mean, it's just a big-ass TV I know, but that's really cool. I know. I'm so excited. I'm going to be so skinny. I'm going to win all the lip syncs for my life I could ever dream of. You do your dancing. I'll do my pelotoning. And we will try to, you know, I, I was about to say, like, make up for what happened in 2020. Because, you know, hey, I was at home a lot. I didn't move as much. That's kind of a fact of 2020. But do I regret it? <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. That was a rough year. Do I give a shit that I gained a few pounds? No. And none of y'all should either. No. I was just going to say make up for lost endorphins. Yeah. From 2020. By working out and giving ourselves endorphins. Honestly, it really is more about that feel-good energy than it is about like the weight loss. Because you know, when you work out and you do have those endorphins, you just feel good. I'm about that. I mean, I'm all about the fantasy of, like, working hard to be like, oh, oh, like, I don't know if I can do this last, like, set of reps or mile. And then you just put on a fight song by Rachel Platten and you can do anything. Literally, it is your shot of adrenaline. This is my fight song. (laughs) Okay, well. And I can go another mile. That is not my adrenaline, but whatever works for you. Listen, sometimes we just need to pick ourselves up however we can. You know what? You're absolutely right. And however you pick yourself up, pick yourself up, baby. Question for our listeners. Do any of y'all listen to us when you work out? Because... I <laughs> are we will sometimes listen. Oh, well, hey, we are here to be your fight song. But I'll sometimes listen to podcasts when I'm working out. But then other times, I don't like that I can hear myself breathing over it. Because I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> but in my ears, it's like... And then the company announced it was going to make an IPO for an estimated $60 billion. <laughs> And it's 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 not cute. It's not a good look. <laughs> you know what? That was my. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to get the air in and out. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Well, wow. Okay, this was like our episodes always tend to be so much more intense than I ever imagined. At this point, you would think I would not be taken off guard by that, but for some reason, I sometimes still am. Fair. And if y'all enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Give us those five stars. We love hearing from you. And be sure to like and follow us on social. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.